just to reassure you, this isn't some kind of an intervention. We're not going like, to uh, put something up there. No one's stepping down or something like that. The, um, the reason that we're doing this is that City Light, we believe that uh, God speaks through His Word, the Bible. And for that reason, the large part of our year is taken up of going through books of the Bible from end to end because we believe that the whole counsel of God is what we need to grow as followers of Jesus. And so a large part of our year is spent doing that. There are other sections of the year where we look at what the Bible teaches maybe on a single issue across many books of the Bible, like in our relationship series in the middle of the year. Uh, But there are other times where I think the Word of God speaks to a church situation in a unique way. And what's happening today is is probably really that. That we're seeing uh, maybe a third application of how we see the Word of God being living and active in this church community. And uh, we felt the rising conviction from God that there's something that He's put in our heart to share with the church for your encouragement and strengthening and comfort. Um, Because it is the case that just like people, we go ups and downs in seasons of life, that groups of people like churches can do that too. And I think over time, I think that as we've moved through different seasons, I think Gav and I and some of the leaders have started to sense that in in the church, in City Light specifically, that over time we've sensed a, a tiredness that sets in. And it's quite an understandable tiredness. When you kick off a church, so it's only, we've only been going six and a half years, and when you kick things off, if you were here for that part of church life, you'll know that when you want to kick things off, there's, a, there's kind of a burst of energy that comes with that. Everyone's taking a massive risk. No one knows how it's going to go, so you all step out in faith. And when it doesn't completely tank, there's kind of a surge of adrenaline that comes with that. And as you see God rise to meet needs and all these kind of things, there's an energy that builds. But over time, as churches grow and mature and lengthen, as they continue gospel work, there are just hits that you can take over time. For us, in our, in our first kind of two years, we grew reasonably quickly, and this small little building that we'd been so blessed to have got a bit kind of, you know, shoulder to shoulder reasonably quickly, and so we had to move early on in church life to two services. And now that was a blessing and a good thing, and that helped us to grow, but it was also a hit relationally. For the first time, we just weren't all in one service together. There were people that you weren't going to see sort of week in and week out, and that's just kind of a hit that you take when you're planning churches. The second one, I think, was, um, was already called the Sydney Churn. If you've lived in Sydney for more than three to five years, you'll know that people move about every three to five years. And in our third year of City Light, it was the first year we'd kind of hit that churn. Up until that point, we basically had no one leave. And then around that year, people just started to move through, as they do in the inner city. People were going back to their home countries, moving into state, moving into city. But with that, those are people that you've known and loved and invested in, and then suddenly they're gone and, and missional communities start to churn through. And that's a hit that a church takes. I think the third one then was this year, as we sent off to plan a second campus, a bunch of people that we know and love who have invested in us and we've invested in them, and they've gone and, and, and made a massive effort to go and start a new gospel work, which is an amazing blessing. But again, it's a hit, isn't it? As you kind of feel that as a small church planting out a church, you feel the, the, the hit of that. And I think over time, those kind of hits can just lead to a, a, a just a tiredness that sets in. And I think we see the symptoms of that. We see it in our attendance. You can actually see the dips at those key moments in church life. You can see it in our initiatives. It used to be the case we'd throw out some half-done sort of Bible notes and everyone would eat it up. And now it just it's a little bit slower on the uptake. You can see it in our singing sometimes. We just get used to good music and get a bit familiar and a bit ho-hum with the truths of God. You can see it in our outreach that it doesn't have the same drive in it. There's just a tiredness that kind of sets in in church life. 
But I think also, Gavin and I have seen it not just in our, our church as a whole, but in ourselves. That over time, as you get older, with more responsibilities and stresses and difficulties, that, that can wear you down too. And as, the, and as the leadership go off, and so goes the church, and I think we'd felt even a little bit tired. But the reason we wanted to do this today was because recently we sensed a, a bit of a change. And it started, I think, with ourselves, as it should, with a conviction in moving through the book of Exodus. I think we personally felt quite convicted by the sermons that we were preaching on things, which is it's a good sign, really, so we're not just like throwing it out there. But um, I think in preaching through the tabernacle of all things, seeing how in Israel... The idea that God would dwell near them seems unspeakably good. And if you would have told them in that time that God would actually take up his residence in his people, that, that you yourself would be a temple of the living God, they would have been like, no way. And I felt like that, that was something that really I hadn't thought on much, that I'd, I'd really, I guess in many ways, stopped expecting a lot from my quiet times. I'd seen sometimes a, a tiredness in how I sing and sing the, the immense truths of God. But, uh, but felt convicted of it, and I think Gav the same. It's not quite the case. I mean, there was, there was a Welsh preacher, apparently, who during a great revival put a call out, like an altar call, to see if anyone wanted to come to Christ and was so convicted he, he got saved in his own preaching. So it wasn't quite, as, wasn't quite as dramatic as that. But I think both of us, as we were opening the Word of God, felt convicted by it, that God was putting something on our hearts. And even listening to a sermon recently, where a preacher was talking about how in many ways as a, as, a, as a Christian now he's matured so much, but as he looks back at some of the old things he used to write and speak about, there are some things that he misses about his young faith, a passion and an energy there. And I think I saw that in myself, that there are things that I've grown and matured in, but there are other things where I'm like, man, I, wish, I kind of miss the old Jeremy in some ways. There was more passion in my love for God and used to love singing with the people of God more and gathering more and to expect more from meeting with God in his word and in prayer and with his people. And as I was thinking all these things through, as Gavin and I were both sharing what, what God was putting on our hearts, I, read, I picked up and read Revelation 2. And read this with me. This is where God is speaking to a church in Ephesus. And it seemed to strike a chord. In Revelation 2, it says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance, how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you're enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But this I have against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the work of the Nicolaitans, which I hate as well. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the seven churches. To the one who conquers, I'll grant to eat the tree of life, which is in paradise, the paradise of God. The church in Ephesus was a good church. They knew what good teaching and right biblical teaching was and what it wasn't. They could tell false teachers from true teachers. They'd held fast to Jesus' name. They don't get the same kind of warning that other churches get in this section of Revelation, where there are churches where Jesus says to them, you look like you're alive, but I know who you are. You are spiritually dead. Or to others where he says, you're lukewarm, I wish you were hot or cold, otherwise I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. But to this church, he affirms them, he says, you understand good teaching, you're holding fast to my name. But he says, I just got this one thing. He says, you've abandoned your first love. You've let your first love for me just grow cold. And I think, I feel the rising conviction, and in speaking to many of you, I think many of you are feeling this as well, 
as we've grown older, we've let our love for Jesus grow cold. I remember years ago sitting in a cafe, and it was like, it was like a producer had actually put the set together. Because there was two elderly couples who looked well into their retirement, unless marriage had just been really hard on them. <laughs> but they, they looked well, sort of, well into their innings. And, um, and they, were just, they were polar opposites. So the first couple were like, you know, kind of laughing and joking, you know, sharing their food, not because they were infirm, but just because like, they were just sharing food because it was like a lovely thing to do. Like, they were kind of like, you know, like young lovers. And then there was another couple, and it was just icy cold. They didn't say, like, and it wasn't just that they were relatively quiet. It was literally silent. And the only time they spoke was for practical things like the bill. And I was like, that is two very separate ways to stay married. And it is the case, unfortunately, that marriage, like any relationship, will naturally gravitate towards cooling off. It's like, I'm no, like, it's like the second law of thermodynamics. I'm, not a, I'm no scientician by any stretch, but I understand the second law of thermodynamics is that things naturally progress to sort of falling apart and getting colder. That's the sort of natural sort of uh, entropy of things, the spread out and cool down. And that's the case, I think, often with marriages, and it's the case with any relationship. And it is often the case with our walk with Jesus. He is saying to this church, You've continued on, you've held fast to my name and to right teaching, but you've just let your love grow cold. You've abandoned that first love. So to be a Christian is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's an all-consuming desire because he's worthy. Because when we understand who Jesus is, that's actually the logical and natural and normal response. In fact, even in the book of Revelation, in the chapter just previous, look at how Jesus is described when John meets him. It says, Then I turned and I see, uh, to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands was one like a son of man, clothed in a long robe with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last, the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys to death and Hades. His hair is white. He is perfectly righteous. His eyes like a flame of fire. He sees all things. He suffers no pretense. His voice is like roaring water. It's like a tsunami. It is not to be ignored. This isn't a God to be trifled with. There is a sword proceeding from his mouth to make war. This is a God who will judge the nations. And so when John meets him, he says he collapses like one dead. He almost loses consciousness. And the only thing that kind of stays him is that Jesus puts his hand on him and says, don't be afraid. I'm not going to destroy you. More than that, he says, I've died. Literally, I've died for you, for your sin, and I'm alive forevermore. And I hold the keys to life and death, and you are free in me. You can either love Jesus with everything or be terrified of him, but you cannot be indifferent. And Jesus is saying to this church in Ephesus, go back to when you had a passionate, all-consuming love for my name. When you love to gather with the people and sing, with, sing my praises. When you used to love to obey me and to do radical things. When you risked yourself to tell others about me. You're saying to Ephesus, go back to that. 
And I think that's what God is calling us to. Back to a first love of Him, a passionate love for His name. And I think that's why we are where we are. Last year, we were weighing up the options for what we would do this year, post-Burwood. And we are going around checking again what our options were in terms of buildings and whether or not there was an option to come together as one service. Because in many ways, it was going to be a stretch to plan a second campus in terms of resources and people, all those sort of things. So I think, look, it, it, it might be worth seeing if there's anything now available. And as we are weighing up these things and praying, uh, we got together the, the church councils, elders and wives, and we just couldn't quite come to unity on it. And I remember on one Sunday morning, praying to God, saying, God, it, just, it feels like we're alone in this, and, and it's not really clear what the way is forward. And then that afternoon... Uh, some friends had sort of visited this church, and one of them took Gav aside and said, hey, look, uh, I don't know if this strikes a chord with you or anything, but I feel like God's putting my heart to say to you, just don't make any big changes. And I remember we just had like a, a meeting that day about it, couldn't quite come to unity on it, and then God, uh, uh, Gav got that word, and I was the one pushing to go to one service, so I was actually quite annoyed when I heard that, because I was like, well, <laughs> if God can organize everything, maybe send him my way first of all. But after weighing those things up and praying through it, we really did come to unity. And they were thinking, right, so we're going to be in, in two services. So that's obviously God's plan to really grow this church. And that's going to be the, the thing that leads to kind of explosive growth. But it wasn't. And in fact, we've kind of grown a little bit over the year. But we've felt the smallness of having sent away a good portion of our church. And I think the reason God has put us in this position is that we can't go forward unless individuals are growing in their own personal love for Jesus. He has put us in a spot where, if you, look, if you're at a certain size, size culture is that you can kind of build momentum whilst inwardly people's spiritual lives are just deteriorating. But we're at a size, we're really at a service planting size where unless the large part of us are actually spending time with God and growing in our love for Him, we won't be able to press on. And I think that's God's work. That we'd be meeting with God personally, experiencing His transforming power for ourselves. And not living off the warmth of the faith of others. You'd be growing in your own faith. You know, Martin Luther, the great reformer, said, there are two things a man must do alone. He must do his own believing, and he must do his own dying. It says in Philippians to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's something that no one else can do for you. No one can live out, walk out your faith for you. And so going forward as a church, I think that's what God is calling us to do. To go back to a deep love of Him, meeting with Him in His Word, coming before him in prayer and gathering to encourage one another more and more. We need to see a rising up of individuals who refuse to let their love for God grow cold, who fight to see joy in him and to see his name glorified. No amount of organizing or structure can make up for a personal lack of relationship with Jesus. Jesus is calling us to a deep first love. And Gav's going to talk about how we're going to do this as a church. I'm going to pray for us now before we sing. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you that you know us personally, that you love us. You've not left us as orphans in this world, but given us your spirit to guide and to lead us. You've given us your word to direct us. And Father, we praise you that most of all that you gave us your son for our sin on our behalf. You might set us free from sin and death and bring us into new life and life eternal. Father, we pray that as a church that we'd be living this out. Father, we pray all of these things for the glory of your name. Amen.
We want to pray that as we meet with you again, that your word would powerfully work through us by the Holy Spirit. We would see your deep love and we need to abide in that and stay connected to you. So Lord, just speak now, we ask. Help, help us to have hearts and minds that are ready to hear. Even if we feel distant or cold from you, we want to pray, Lord, that you would just revive us. Lord, use me as your servant. Help me to get out of the way and just to show you. So, Lord, bless our time now in your word again. Amen. Grab a seat. Now, uh, uh, a bunch of years ago, um, I did this. Oof. Flyboarding. Who's done, anyone done flyboarding at all? Nobody. Well, I've done it. Anyway, I did flyboarding. And that's me out at Penrith Lakes doing that. And I feel like I look a lot like this guy. I feel like, psh, Iron Man. Anyway, take that off now. Uh, move on. Next slide. Anyway, leave that. Uh, I did flyboarding. And basically how it works is you are attached to a board. Your, your, your sort of feet are clipped into a board. And there's this huge hose that goes down to the water, attaches to your board, and the water pressure shoots out under the board, which propels you up, and you start flying just like Iron Man. And it was, it was a lot of fun, but it's quite hard, because as the water shoots out, you've got to balance the board uh, underneath your feet, and when the water's um, um, gushing up underneath you. And if you go up, as, a, as high you go up, uh, it's hard to come down slowly. And if you tip off, then you just go, and hit the water from a great height. And so it's all about trying to balance the board under your feet, because the board is what gives you, gives you, um, propels you up. It'd be weird now if I, if I, found, I said to the instructor, hey, the board thing is really hard. Um, can we just not use the board, and I'll just try and go up by myself and be like Iron Man? Now, he'd be like, you're an idiot. You can't do that anymore. You just bob around the water like this and go nowhere. And uh, it'd be silly, because I have to stay attached to the board, and that attachment makes me propel and go up. That's where the power comes from. Today, I want to show you John 15, uh, where Jesus says, abide in me. He says, remain in my love. Hang on, not yet. Go back one. Thank you. Uh, He says, uh, abide in me, remain in my love. And I want to show you from God's word, the Bible, that uh, remaining in Jesus' love, abiding in him is what we need more than anything. It's It's upstream. It's our power source. It's where it all comes from, is remaining and abiding in him. We just heard Jez get up here and speak to us and, and just describe, I would guess, a bit of what we feel like is going on maybe in our lives, in church life, maybe in your life as well. And uh, he shared what's been going on in our lives for the past little while. We want to share this with you. We've noticed a bunch of issues, a bunch of uh, issues around tiredness in church and in leadership. There's probably been a lack of, uh, of, of reliance on God in prayer and in his Holy Spirit. There's been a lack of desire for community a lack of attendance here on Sundays. He mentioned most Sundays we have about 50 people uh, not, not coming to church for whatever reason. Which We feel that every single week. There's a bunch of issues that affect us. Now, we could get up here and speak on one of those issues. We could do a week on attendance. We could do a week on communion. We could do a week on prayer. But we think they are symptomatic of a bigger issue going on that we want to speak into. That we feel like God has put it in our own hearts and is working in our lives. We want to share that with you as a church. And really, it's we need to go back to our first love, Jesus. It's not about new plans, new strategies, new systems, doing less of things or more of things or whatever it is. We want to say it's going back to Jesus and having a deep, passionate love for him, remaining and abiding in our first love. We're not, asking, we're not here this afternoon to ask you for more. 
or to do better or to do this or that. We want to show you and hopefully revive your soul with Jesus. Over the past few months, I want to say that this is what's been happening to me. And I can honestly say I have so much more of a hunger to meet with God than I think I've ever had in my life. Encountering Him, more of the Spirit's work in my life, and wanting to know God in a whole deep way. So much so, I look forward to reading the Bible. I've never had that in my life. To meeting with my Creator face to face. I'm praying more than ever. A word of the Spirit's work in my life more than ever. Seeing more of the fruit of the Spirit in my life. And yeah, I've got a long way to go. But there's a hunger to meet with God that I've never seen before. I'm experiencing the promise of God come true in the Bible. Peace and joy and fruit and His presence and encountering Him. And it's not just in me I've seen or in Jez, but there's a bunch of us here who are experiencing this. I'm seeing people fall back in love with their first love. People prioritizing spending unhurried time encountering encountering God face to face. Doing it for the first time in a long time. People being reassured of God's love and His salvation for them. New works of the Spirit, people's lives, the building up of the church here as well. And I want to say I'm super encouraged and excited to see what God is doing here. And I feel like He's on the move here doing something. And I can name a handful of people that this is going on in their lives for, but I don't want it to be just a handful of people. I want it to be us as a church who are deeply abiding and remaining in Jesus who are meeting and encountering him so much that it flows out of just us individually that we can come together, we're spurring one another on to keep on running the race and showing the world around us about this love that we have. And I want to say abiding in Jesus and his love is the engine room behind all of this. And so if you are feeling tired and weary and downtrodden or burdened or guilty, what I want this word to be for you is, is spiritual oxygen in your lungs. You breathe in and go, ah, there it is. Coming back to this first love. And our prayer for, for us as a church is that we continually to seek Jesus, being, being intimate with Him, being prayer-soaked, spirit-led, hungry for Him with our self-driven faith. That's our goal. And from that, being a people who love one another and the world around us. And I want to show you this from John 15. Have a look at this. This is Jesus' words to his disciples. And he knows in a matter of hours, he's about to be arrested and tried and then killed and risen back to life again. So these are his last words to his disciples. That's what he's saying to them. Now let me read to you this, just a couple of sentences from John 15. It says this. Abide in me. And I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And then in sentence 9 it says, As for the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. So here we have Jesus. And he's saying here that he is the true Vine and we as followers are the branches. Now think gardening for a second. It's my jam. Love gardening, right? This is it. Uh, think gardening for a second. Branches can only grow. They only grow when they're attached to a healthy vine. And that vine has roots in the ground and the branches only grow and grow out as they are attached to the vine where they get their nutrients and their water supply and everything they need. You never see a branch on the ground 
that's not attached to the vine or to a tree that's thriving. It's dead. It will break in half when you snap it. It can't do anything. It's dead. And this is simply what Jesus is saying here. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. We can't grow as followers of Jesus. We can't thrive. We can't have joy joy at all. He's saying, apart from me, you can have nothing. So Jesus is setting up here how vital it is to abide in him, to remain in him, to be connected to him. That's what he's saying here. But what does that mean? What does it mean to remain in his love? Well, he's saying, don't leave, don't move on, don't look elsewhere for your hope, for your fulfillment, for your joy, for your love. He's saying, remain in me, don't depart, stay close, draw near, stay connected to where you are right now. Remain in the first love you have, is what he's saying. And did you pick up in sentence nine how amazing this love is we are to remain in? Sentence nine. Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, as God the Father has loved God the Son, that's how much I love you. Now, if you just stop and think on that for a second. As much as the Father, God the Father loves God the Son, Jesus is saying, understand that love for a second. And then he says, now, that's how much I love you. Now, think for a second. How much does God the Father love God the Son? It would just be infinite. It would be huge. It is fully and holy and perfect and eternal and massive, and you cannot measure it. And Jesus is saying, that is how much I love you. That is how much I love you. In the the book of Ephesians, in Ephesians 3, Paul the Apostle, writing to the uh, Ephesian church, says, I'm praying that you may know the height and the depth and the width of God's love for you. He's saying, you cannot know it just cognitively. You need a spiritual intervention to know and grasp how much God loves you. It is so big. And I find it funny when people say, yeah, yeah, I, I know God loves me. No, no, I don't think we do. We don't, we don't grasp it. It is huge. And Jesus is saying, that's the love that I want you to remain in. That love. And I think this is such good news to the weary believer who thinks that we must must up our strength to pursue and know Jesus. Jesus is saying, no, that's not it. He's saying, just abide in me. Just know that I love you and stay there. And know and ask to know my love in a deeper, new way. Don't move on. And then he says and said it's for, and if you abide in me, I'll abide in you. And sentence 11 later on says, this is the path to joy. There's a man named Hudson Taylor. You might have heard of him. He's quite a famous missionary who went to, uh, he was from the UK, and he gave up everything he had, and he went to China. And he didn't just go to the outskirts of China. He went to inland China. And back in his days, he was born in 1831. No missionary had ever been to inland China before. And his, his missionary journey was hard. He was there for 51 years. And it was hard because he didn't know the language, there was no support, no health care, no transport, no, no internet, obviously, no anything. He just trailblazed into inland China. And in the mid-19th century, he was responsible for leading uh, hundreds of other missionaries into, into China's interior for the first time. In 1869, when Hudson was 37 years old, he entered a new phase of life. And it's believed, and I quote this as, as, as I was reading this about Hudson, said he began to drink more deeply at the experiential fountain of John 15, which we're looking at. 
abiding in Jesus. He was given a deeper and more constant and more satisfying experience of abiding in Christ. And Hudson Taylor would write, he had a family, he would write letters back to his children about how he's going. And his son Frederick reflects on this bunch of letters. You get heaps of letters from, his, from, from uh, Hudson, from his dad, and Frederick reflected on these letters from his dad. And, see, and, he, and, and Frederick writes this about his dad. He was a man almost 60 years of age, bearing tremendous burdens, yet absolute calm and untroubled. Any one of his letters he wrote may contain news of death or lack of funds or riots or serious trouble, yet all were open and read and answered with the same tranquility. Christ, his reason for peace, his power for calm. Dwelling in Christ, he drew upon his very being and resources. And this he did by an attitude of faith as simple as it was continuous. He was delightfully free. I could find no words to describe it apart from he was in God. He was in God all the time and God in him. It was the true abiding of John 15. That was Hudson Taylor's experience despite his circumstances. And I read this story of Hudson Taylor and I mean, I read and go, wow, I want to be like Hudson Taylor. I want to be a guy who is, who is not affected by his peripheral circumstances but has this peace that comes from abiding in Jesus. He's a man who has full joy, full hope, full peace, no matter what the circumstances are like. And his secret is that he abided in Jesus. He remained in Jesus' love. As I said there, it, it was simple. You know, imagine, imagine being a person like that. Or imagine being in a church like that. A people that are joyful, bearing the fruit of the Spirit, loving God deeply, longing to know and encounter Him more and understanding His love more. And then loving each other and the water around them out of that abiding. Out of abiding. And that's really what we're talking about today here. And it all starts with abiding in Jesus, remaining in his love. Jesus says, we are the branches. He says, be a branch, just remain. You don't have to do anything, it's simple. Just stay connected, just, just abide. And I will do the rest. Now, if you know gardening at all, a branch doesn't say, I'm going to make some fruit and go real hard, right? And then hope the fruit pops out. Nothing happens. A branch does nothing but abide, but stays connected to the vine. And out of that produces fruit. And Jesus is saying the same thing. It's not about your strength. It's not about you. Just stay in my love. Just know it and live in light of it. Abide in me. And if you're feeling tired and burdened and weary... This is not Jesus saying, do more, do better. This is Jesus saying, come to me all who are weary and I'll give you rest. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. He's saying, be yoked to me. Stay connected to me. That's what a yoke is. He's saying, the yoke that I'll give you is light. And in that, in that, in that connection, your, body, your soul finds rest. I don't know about you, but as I continue to walk as a follower of Jesus, it gets harder and harder, and life gets harder. Life gets more serious for me. I'm sure that's for you too. More complicated, more busy. You see more sad things. You feel like you've heard all this before. You find it hard to juggle the priorities of life. So what do we do? I want to show you one more passage from a story you would have read before, you might have even glanced over it. But I just want to sit in this just for a minute. 
This is a story of Mary and of Martha. This is from Luke 10, 38 to 42. I'll read it for you. And we just want to listen to what Jesus says here. As they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into his house, into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. And you read it and go, yeah, okay, cool. Let me just show you a few things here. Martha, Jesus said, was distracted. And Jesus said she was worried about many things. Now, they may be good things. Martha may have been doing a great job tidying the house or, or looking for a new job or thinking about how to care for a family better or whatever it is. Good things. But they are taking priority over what Jesus says is the best thing. What is that thing? Well, Jesus upholds Mary, doesn't he? Sitting and listening to him at his feet. Now, Mary is a picture of someone who wants to abide who wants to sit and make it a priority to sit and listen to Jesus. She has chosen what is better, to stop, to be still, to not get distracted, but to first meet with her God. See, the way that we're going to abide in Jesus and be reminded daily of his love, because our hearts chase other things, is by encountering him and meeting him for ourselves face to face through the word and the power of the Holy Spirit. And the crazy thing is you can do this. So you can come here on a Sunday, right? And you can hear a killer sermon by Jez. Thank you. Anyway, <laughs> you can sing some, some great worship. We've got a great worship band here. You can praise Jesus, right? And then you can jump online and hear a great sermon for yourself. You can find your favorite preacher. But I want to say you can go one better. You can go and hear and meet with God for yourself face to face. Face to face. You can encounter the living God face to face. You can deal directly with him. You don't need to deal through Jezreel. You can meet with the one that the sermons are about for yourself. That's what struck us about the book of Exodus. Here at City Light, we just don't want to be, be just talking about God and showing you, him. We want you to go and meet with him face to face, to encounter him, to draw you near, to own your own faith. We will help you. We will pour ourselves out to help you to own your own faith, to meet with God yourself, provide resources, do anything we can, pray for you, whatever we can do to help you to, to, to meet with God and to continue to abide and, and have that first love again. You know, the crazy thing is, you think about it, Jesus' death the whole, one of the whole points of Jesus' death was to draw you near. He died to bring you near, to bring you close, to meet with him. I want to encourage you, just like Mary, prioritize spending unhurried time encountering him and his word. Don't simply read the Bible just to gain just more knowledge or tick a box. I would say to God, God, you've got two minutes. Away we go. What do you got for me? Prioritize meeting with him. It's a relationship. You've been bought with the blood of Jesus into a relationship. Spend time with, abide in, remain in. 
to, to plumb the depths of his love for you. And I want to say Sunday sermons are just not enough. I read this quote just yesterday from a guy who was quoting someone else's quotes everywhere. Anyway, I'll just read it for you. So it's really good. It says, if Jesus spent eight hours a day every day for three, with, for three years with his disciples, he would have spent over 8,000 hours with them. And after that time, they still had significant gaps. And we think one hour on a Sunday morning is going to change people. We need a life that abides in him. One hour a week here, hearing a sermon, it's, just, it's not going to be enough. We need to abide in him. And I know I say this a lot, but I so believe that it's what our, our worried, anxious, dry, weary souls are crying out for an encounter with our God. It's what our church needs. It's what the church needs. So we do not fall asleep as sleepy Christians. We need abiding in Jesus' love. And as I said, I'm excited to see what God is doing in me and Jez and the leadership here and people. And I want to see what God does. And I want to invite you to be a part of this. To stay connected. To abide in Him. To prioritize meeting with Him. And so for going from here, we have two hopes and prayers really basically. The first is that we as a people together, individually, abide in Jesus, remain in his love, face to face in his word and the power of the Holy Spirit, finding joy and rekindling a passion for him. And we're going to do everything we can to do that for you. Second, there's overflow of this, is we want to be encouraging each other to abide in Jesus and to help us to just rethink and reframe how we see the gatherings on Sunday and MCs. We want to reintroduce prayer before the gathering. So at 3.30 here every week, we're going to gather to pray together. To give all our, give all our, our services, give everything over to God, saying it's, if you don't work, it's not going to work. So we're going to have a reliance on God in prayer every week. He would love you to be a part of that and to see God work in that. We would love you to try. I encourage you to see church. Sunday is church day. Seeing, having this mindset of every Sunday... I have a divine appointment with God and his people that I'm going to keep. Coming to hear from him as the word is open and taught, and then out of that, loving and encouraging your church family to keep running the race, to keep abiding in Jesus. And this is no small thing. If we think about eternity, this is no small thing that we do here. And I want to push back on this individualistic mindset of church is just about me and about what I can get and what I can hear. Because it's not, if it is, then online church is fine, and it's not. Setting aside time, prioritizing time on Sunday as a, for church to come early to pray and then encourage each other afterwards to say, hey, keep loving Jesus. We're here to get with brothers and sisters. We're going to keep running, running, for, running for Jesus till glory. And I think abiding in Jesus and, and gathering go hand in hand. If you kept reading John 15... You keep going down, Jesus abide in me. And then he's at the end he says, and love one another. 1 John is all about loving God and loving one another. It is fit together. And this is what leaders we are praying for. You know, we've decided not this week, but next week we're going to stop MCs for a week. We're going to have a prayer and praise night here in the building. Uh, Chris Ainsley has volunteered to come and do this. Lead us in that, one of the elders here. So we want to kick off this time, this season of first love, by coming together to pray and to praise God together as a church. I want to encourage you to be there for that. And next week, as I said, we have a guest speaker coming who's going to come and speak on 
someone who lives this out and who lives out taking this message to the world. It's going to be great to hear him speak as well. And we are genuinely excited to see what God is going to do here in us. And I encourage you to pray for your own soul and pray for us as a church. I'm going to pray for us right now. Father, we want to thank you so much that you love us. And and for those of us who felt like we hear this a lot or these messages sort of washed over us again and again and again, we want to pray, Lord, that you would just make it new. Holy Spirit, take this message and break into our hearts and help us to feel a deep love for you in light of your love rekindle the passion we have for those of us who are feeling weary and tired and worn down and worried. We want to pray for comfort and for healing over us. And help us to see that the answer is going to be staying connected to you, abiding in you, remaining in your love. Lord, give us a deeper understanding of your love. As Paul prays in Ephesians 3, we want to, we want to know more deep in a more real and a more experiential way just how much you love us. Help us not to grow cold to this love. Help us to not to be like the Ephesian church in Revelation 2 that have forgotten our forsaken our first love. Help us to abide in you, stay connected. You are a God of do-overs. You're a God of new beginnings. You're a God who says, my mercies are in you each morning. We want to thank you for that and pray that tomorrow in your strength, in your power, that we would, we, would be, we would abide in you, we would meet with you, we would encounter you and what a privilege and a blessing that is. Help us to see how big and awesome you are and that we can come to you. Psalm 8, what is man that you are mindful of him? Help us to believe this truth and then run to you in light of your grace. Help us to be a church that abides in you. I want to thank you so much for this privilege. We can be your people, your children. Help us, help, help your love to be enough for us. I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.